Thank you for that wonderful singing. My name is Matt Giles. Uh, I am uh, with Providence Church. So blessed to be able to be with you and uh, for the connections we have uh, in the gospel. And uh, what an honor it is to do that and to be with you again. I was with you a couple of weeks ago on Labor Day weekend, and, and uh, many of you were taking advantage of the Labor Day, which I don't blame you. Uh, I try to get to the lake as soon as possible. One of the hardest things about driving to your church is I have to drive by Solway. And uh, I have done a lot of fishing there, and I think to myself, you know, maybe this afternoon, almost every time. So uh, it's hard for me. I think that maybe the Holy Spirit knew my feeling on that, and so today we're going to talk about fishing a little bit. In fact, I want you, if you would, to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, if you don't, guess what? I brought mine. We can share. Uh, but we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, this story. I was a teaching pastor for 15 years before I joined the work at Providence Church, uh, and now I coach church planners uh, really across the world. And so cross-cultural missions, um, the work of doing missions in every circumstance, you know, one of the things we miss out on is that uh, we're all missionaries. Um, and so we're very thankful for Steve Steve and Ruth, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you for a church uh, that connects the world uh, to the gospel. It's, uh, it's a call on our life. You know, I was thinking this week uh, a couple of things. One uh, being, why, why do we worry uh, most about the things we can't control? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, the things that we worry about the most in life tend to be the things that we have no control over. Uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and uh, if you know anything about being 14, it's just a crisis. It doesn't even matter what it's about, it just is. Uh, you know, we average an outbreak every 72 hours of crisis. Um, and so I, I understand and experience this, uh, uh, this environment of worry about things we can't control. And so I spend a lot of times in conversations about that. Um, and when I am coaching her with all my wisdom in life, I think to myself how often I do the very things I'm trying to tell her and challenge her and encourage her not to do. It's, a, it's an interesting thing, but a lot of times uh, we can easily get our priorities mixed up about what's important. And so worry sometimes consumes us and we don't think about the things God has called us to do. Um, Another thing I think is interesting about our spiritual life, and uh, I see this as well, not only in my 14-year-old, but in my own sinful flesh, is that oftentimes we want to con control things that just don't matter. A lot of times in life we want to be in control of something. We are worried about something that is very small. I had the worst advice, but I guess the best advice given to me when uh, Marley was born, believe it or not, a pastor came to see me in the hospital. And he said, Matt, I'm going to tell you something about being a dad. I said, what is it, Bob? He said, well, there'll be things that you think are important and they're not. And there'll be things that you don't think are important that are really important. And he left and I thought, man, that's such great advice. The only problem is I'm going to think those things. I'm going to mess that up anyway. I thought, well, that's almost torture. Now I just know I don't know what I'm doing. That's all he gave me. But uh, oftentimes that's the way it is, isn't it? We, we uh, uh, a lot of times try to dig into something and we... Uh, we, we try to control things, we worry about things, and uh, a lot of times uh, it takes a moment of understanding who we are in Jesus for us to really organize our life around the things that are most important. 
And uh, this passage today is about fishing, which I love, but it's also about this reorienting of what matters. Uh, Not getting into the things that we can do and the things that we control, but really who we are and what we're called to be in Jesus. And it's a really good picture for us in a lot of ways. Now, I'm going to read the first three verses to you and kind of set the stage for what's going on here in Jesus' life. What a precious gift we have in the Gospels to see the life of Jesus. Read with me, Luke 5, verse 1, 2, and 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put, on a little, uh, put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And I uh, want you to see this picture. Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching in the only place that he has that has a sound system and a microphone. Uh, you know, the synagogues were built, if you know anything about the Jewish synagogues, in fact, we see about four verses up, actually maybe two verses up from here, and you don't have to look at that, but it references that Jesus would go and teach in the synagogues. The reason they would have those buildings more than anything was the acoustics. Uh, Even this building, the architecture, if you see this wood, this is all designed, I I love your building by the way, I was uh, was telling them a couple weeks ago, but uh, the acoustics in here, this is designed to amplify sound. And so teachers had to find places to teach that had sound where people could hear. And so Jesus, obviously, being the Son of God, would draw a crowd, and so he would have these places to teach. And so he would teach in the synagogues, and when he wasn't teaching those in the synagogues, he would find places to teach that had a natural type of amphitheater. Now, if you know anything about the lake, you know that you can say something on one side of the lake, and you can hear it all the way across. And I used to remember going up and camping and, and being laying there in a tent, and you can just hear things that are going on that seem like they're miles away. But they're all the way on the other side of the water, but the water carries the sound. So Jesus, while he's teaching, now I don't know if it was a situation where his voice was getting weak or something was going on, but I think in the situation he was in, he thought to himself, you know what, I see these fishermen coming in. And so I'm going to ask one of them to let me jump in their boat, push me out. I'm going to use the water as an amplifier for my voice. He jumps in the boat. He goes into Simon's boat. Uh, They allow him to do this. They've just come in from their catch. Many of the fishermen in that time, they would fish at night. So fishermen, because it was professional, worked the night shift. Now, I've fished at night, and I always catch mosquitoes. That's all I ever catch. Uh, but if you were doing it for a living, you would go when you could fish, and that's what you would do. And so guess what? That's exactly what happened. So they're coming in, finishing their shift, and Jesus sees them coming in as he's teaching in the morning, and he says, hey, can I use your boat in order to teach? So he does, and he teaches. And in this dynamic, he's able to extend this message of the kingdom, which is a burden on Jesus' heart to teach. And so while he's teaching this, And while this is going on, he's also seeing what's going on with these disciples that he's needing to call and what is going on with these fishermen. And he decides, I'm putting my team together. And I don't know who led him. Perhaps the father did. But in that situation, he said, these men will be called to be part of my team. Part of my team to follow me. And so that's what he does. If you pick up with me at verse 4, when he finishes speaking... He says, and when he had finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. 
but at your word I will let down your nets. So, give you a little context before we keep going any farther. Uh, in this, he has said, hey, let's go out and let's catch some fish. Now, these guys are professionals. In fact, what we know about Peter is Peter was a professional fisherman. In fact, he and his brother had a fleet of boats. Uh, in fact, Jesus' ministry is really organized around the transportation of Peter's boats. Believe it or not, his business and what Peter was doing helped to be part of what Jesus could do in his travels. So he is already a professional fisherman. He knows that there's nothing to catch. But Jesus is Jesus. He's a rabbi. He's a master teacher. He says to himself, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to let you take us out in the boat because I respect you. But I'm telling you right now a couple things. One, I've been fishing all night, and I know that's when you fish. Two, it's been a bad night. <laughs> I've not caught anything. And so they end up going out anyway out of respect, and look what happens. We shouldn't be shocked, but we are. Verse 6, he says this, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when, Jesus, when, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I want you to see the shift that takes place here. Jesus in his wonderful, miraculous work. Now, we understand the miracles of Jesus. In most cases, they have several layers to him. The primary layer of what Jesus was doing was telling us what he would do upon the end of creation. See, all of the promises that we have is this. Guess what? And this is what we hold on to. There'll come a time when there will be no pain. There will come a time when there will be no suffering. There will come a time when we will always have what we need. There will come a time when we will not see those we love die. There will come a time when we have all of the people of God unified together around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There will be this time. In fact, the proof of that message of the kingdom was Jesus' miracles. When he did these miracles, and we see these recorded, in fact, John in his gospel says... These have been written, these miracles have been written so that you would believe that he is the Christ, the coming one, that he is the one who will restore the world. So we already see that this powerful testimony has been gone out in this message and life of Jesus. The miracle is that on a bad day of fishing, which I've had plenty of those, they are able to catch fish at the wrong time of day and catch so many fish that it really blows the mind of all the professional fishermen out there. Now, I am not a professional fisherman. Uh, but I will tell you that I have taken people fishing and they have decided on a bait. I've just been their friend and they've said, hey, here's my tackle box. You want to go fishing with me? And then I will tell them, this is how you hook the worm on the hook and this is what you do, and this is how you should do it. And then I'm trying to be nice and not bossy, so I don't tell them they're doing it wrong, and they will hook it wrong, and it'll be crooked, and it'll look funny, and I'll say to myself, they'll never catch fish. They'll throw that out there, and sure enough, what do you think happens? They catch fish, and I don't. And there is this moment where your expertise and your knowledge and all your, I've been doing this for a long time, gets put in check. And that's what happens to Simon in this moment. And those in his fleet 
That's what happens to them. And to be honest with you, it's what happens to all of us when we think we know what we're supposed to be doing. You see, when Jesus comes into our life, when we start to see who he truly is, all of the things that we think we know get changed. All of the things that we are doing look different. All of a sudden, all the things that we think we can make sense of in the world all get reorganized around this king of kings who says to you and says to me, hey, I know you know how to fish, but I'm Jesus and I am the king of kings. And Simon, in that moment, does what any one of us would do. He gets put in his place, and he sits down, and he responds in humility. Look what he does there in verse 5, or verse 8, excuse me, in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know the first moment of the gospel when the holy spirit awakens you to who you are without jesus when that power happens that's what happens isn't it every single one of us has that moment if we are believers today where we have said i am not worthy of your presence best thing about the kingdom of god is this when you think you're worthy you're not in when you think you ought to be in you're out But if you say, I have no business being in, but man, I'd sure like it. He says, oh, you're my people. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens to Simon. And so then we see this shift that takes place that I think is the most important thing we can learn today about how we're to do things in our life if we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're disciples. Look what happens. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Verse 10, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon in the boat business. They all had the boat business together. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That's weird. (laughs) You imagine if you're a fisherman. First of all, you've been shown up on how to strategically fish. And now you get told by Jesus that you're going to start catching people. Now, if you know anything about the way they were fishing, uh, they used nets. They didn't use hooks. When when you're in the business, you, you can't use hooks. You don't have time for that. And so what they would do is they would go out at night because the fish would school. Now, if you know anything about fishing, you know that the water temperature and the sun have a huge thing to do with where fish are. And so in this lake, what would happen is these small fish, they didn't catch big fish, they caught a bunch of little small fish. And if you've ever been to the Middle East, you've ever seen what they eat, they take these fish, these little small ones, they lay them out when they catch them, out on on usually a piece of canvas, or sometimes uh, they just lay them on the dock, and they let them dry out. And most of the fish that they're selling for their job were these little kind of cigar-shaped fish that dry out for them to eat. And so they would lay these out. That was their plan. So they would fish with these nets, and they would know that they should fish at night in order to do that. And so now, all of a sudden, you can imagine the way these guys are thinking. Jesus says, now you will catch men. I promise you, these guys, as shocked as they were about this miracle that they had seen, I bet more than anything, they were sitting there and thinking to themselves, i got to put dudes in nets? I guarantee they were. 
They have been shaken by this miracle. And they're like, okay, so I'm supposed to take the guys that are sitting up on the hill that have been listening to you. I'm supposed to throw nets over them. What what are you going to do with them, Jesus? But obviously that's not what he means, is it? And so he continues. We see how they respond in verse 11. Here's how they respond. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There's another reference to this in another gospel. says they dropped their nets. Now, I want you to see what is the most wonderful part of this. You see, a lot of times the definition of our life is in the doing. You know, if you meet somebody new, you almost always ask them, so what do you do? Tell me a little about yourself, sir. What do you say? Well, I'm an engineer. Uh, Well, I'm a professional fisherman. Well, I'm a... And what do we do? We almost always associate ourselves with what we do. But see, what happens to those who belong to Jesus, what happens to those who have met him in that place where they drop to their knees and say, I am a sinful man, here's what happens. A change takes place. And all of a sudden, you and I aren't worried about what we do anymore, but who we are. And it's about being, not doing. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. I want you to think about this because I'm going to dig a little deeper into what this means because this really is the definition of a disciple. And if we miss this, we can really miss what God has called us to do and all of the places he has called us to go in order to be his disciples, to be people who catch men and women in his name. You see, here's the first thing we will see. When we are focused on being disciples, guess what happens? He lets us know he'll take care of the other things for us. So I want you to imagine the the ramifications of the big catch. This is not just a happenstance miracle, okay? They get so many fish, the scriptures tell us, Luke records, that they got so many fish that they had to call the other boats that were on on the shore. He called over the fleet and said, hey, come on, come up here. We've got to be able to put all of this together. We've got to make sure we have enough. I want you to think about what just happened. They probably got enough fish where those men could follow Jesus and not worry one bit about whether they were going to fish and get enough fish to pay the bills. So essentially, Jesus' miracle gave them a starting point in order to keep moving. Now we know from Scripture, and I want you to know this, that when they say they drop their nets, it isn't that they stop the business. Scripture records more than once that they are out doing this. Jesus uses some of their fishing opportunities to teach things about taxes to Caesar. We all know the story about him saying, hey, grab another net of fish, Peter. I know you don't know what I'm teaching you here, buddy, but I'm going I'm to show you miracles again. Pulls it out, what do we see? Well, one of the tiny little fish has a coin in his mouth. He says, give to Caesar. We see over and over again these references to Jesus calming a storm and all these guys are out on a boat. What do you think they're doing? The business is continuing. But see, there's a difference that there's something that is is different now. There is a change that is taking place. All of a sudden, 
they're not focused on being fishermen as much as they are on being disciples of Jesus. They're still fishermen, but the doing is not trumped by the being. The being a disciple trumps the doing. Now, if you know anything about being a Christian, there's a change that takes place in your life and in your career. You don't quit your job. Sometimes you do. But in most cases, Christians who become Christians, they don't quit their career. They don't change the trade that they do. But they don't look at it the same, do they? All of a sudden, they're not worried about their own power and what they can do and what's happening around them. All of a sudden, they're saying, hey, if I just follow this king, this king's going to take care of what I need. And that's what it means to be a disciple. That's the starting point of being able to keep your doing from getting in the way of your being. And so I see this a lot in my own life, but I also see this a lot of times in churches and in church life. In fact, I, I, want, I want to tell you, I, you may not know some of the things that I do. One of the things that I, I do a lot of stuff. In fact, my, my wife tells me that I, I, I dabble too much. And I need to stop. Uh, and it's true. I'm, I'm a sucker for a certification. I can tell you that right now. I'll sign up. I'll get certified for fish CPR. If it's a, an opportunity and I can sign up, I'll try to do it. Uh, I just enjoy doing a lot of things. And so uh, I have been able to lead seminary uh, with Southern Seminary. I was the, the director for the Extension Center that used to be in Maryville. It's now in Lenore City. They transitioned it, but I enjoy doing that. Um, I also have been able to be part of some consulting work in order to help churches in transition. And you all know, you all are in the midst of this and so thankful for the prayer and the consideration and the things that you all are doing to make good decisions, to not be wrapped up in the doing before you miss out on the being. And so you all know this world and you, you see this kind of pressure, you understand this, but a lot of times I was uh, involved in this as a pastor and so I would help churches. And you know something that's interesting is when churches get too wrapped up in the doing and they forget about the being, there's a lot of things go wrong. I have seen it on a, a lot of circumstances. And, uh, and so uh, they, they, they change the way they see the doing. So sometimes what I'll see happen to churches who have kind of forgotten or got these out of whack is a lot of times the doing becomes the definition of what is going on. So they're not worried anymore about why. Uh, it's all of a sudden now how and what we have done. And so there becomes this rut or this routine. It makes you think about the lady uh, whose daughter was asking her how to cook a roast. I don't know if you have ever heard this story. I love this story. If you've heard it before, pretend when it's time to laugh. Uh, but there's this story, basically, of, the, of the, this lady whose daughter says, hey, how do you cook a roast? She says, well, uh, I take the roast, I cut both ends off, and I put it in the pan. And so she, she gets married. She goes home. She decides she's going to make a roast for her family. Uh, the daughter does. And so she's getting ready to cut the roast off. She cuts the roast off. Her daughter says... Uh, mom, why do you cut the ends off of the roast? And she said, well, I don't know. Your mom taught me, or my mom taught me that. Your grandmother taught me that. She said, well, well, can I ask her why? She said, well, sure, you can ask her why. So she calls her grandmother, her grandmother who had taught her about this roast, tells her, hey, uh, we're going to do that. And so she says, well, why do you do it? And she said, well, my mom taught me to cut the end off the roast. That's why I do it. And she said, can I ask great-grandmama in the nursing home why she does that? And she said, well, absolutely you can. We're going to go see her this weekend. She goes there. She sees her this weekend. She says, 
great-grandmama, why do you cut the ends off the roast? Why did you teach uh, uh, grandma and why did you teach mama to do that? And she said, well, honey, I cut the end off the roast because my pan was too small. That's silly, right? But somewhere in that process, what happened? The why and the being went out the window. And it was just a how. And so a lot of times what I see churches do is they're so wrapped up in the how that they, they really forget why. And so a lot of bad things will happen when that happens. And I'm not projecting anything on you all. I'm just warning you. I feel like the, the Lord's given me the opportunity. I've seen some things happen. But I can tell you that when the, uh, when, when the how starts to determine it, it we, we start to define things by the way we see it. So this might be the way we do things. And we just think about this is the only way to do it because this is the way we've always done it. And we miss the why. Maybe that we're comfortable in the things that we're doing. Uh, maybe we've just got a routine. Can you imagine if Simon, in the midst of his circumstances, uh, said to Jesus when Jesus said, can you take me out? He said, hey, this is my boat, man. You can't get out of my boat. Yes, but I'm going to use it to do this great work to teach the kingdom. Yeah, but it's my boat, and we've already been out today. I've already cleaned up. This is how we do it. We have a routine, Jesus. <laughs> this is the way we do it. And he says, yeah, but if you'll do it my way, you might see me do amazing things through you. Or if not even do it my way, because here's what, they didn't know what Jesus' way was. If they would just say, we're just going to be and not do. And then they got to see another way. But see, a lot of times that's what happens is we, we get wrapped up in doing something a certain way and uh, we miss out on the being. And when people make disciples, you know, the one thing that we're called to do, you know, the only thing that we really have as a clear command is to glorify God, Right? And do you know the only way that we have been commanded to do that? We can't do it with our works, right? Our works are like uh, filthy rags, according to Scripture. Can't do it with our righteousness. Do you know the only way we can do it? The only part we contribute? And in fact, the only reason we get to contribute that is because Jesus allowed us to be part of what he's doing is to make disciples. That's it. We're called to make disciples. In fact, I, I, uh, I'll tell you that uh, Haddon Robinson says, uh, he, he was my doctoral uh, mentor. You, you all, your, your former pastor was a, a Dallas grad, um, and, and Haddon was a longtime professor at Dallas. Then he went to Denver as a president. Then he went to Gordon-Conwell, and that's where I met him. He was my mentor for four years. I was able to learn about preaching and pastoring and just being a disciple, which that's what that guy did better than any of all that other stuff. He did great. Uh, but he, he said something to me one time. He said, man, the one thing you have to worry about in church is he says, when they stop fishing, they start fighting. When they stop trying to do what Jesus has called them to do, when they are trying to be something else they're trying to do something because they've always done it they miss out and they get all that stuff unorganized instead of being fishers of men and he says that's when they start fighting 
And generally, you know what they fight about? The how. And when a church gets back on the why, all of the hows can be laid on the table. And there is just so much in this passage. This is not just some guys saw a miracle and were impressed and everything went back to normal and they just told people about it. This took everything that mattered to them and reorganized it around Jesus and what he wants them to be. In fact, I want you to know that we oftentimes say we're supposed to be fishermen. You know, you're supposed to be a fisher of men. I really don't think he meant that as much as he was like, what you are is now, uh, what you do is now about who I want you to be. So um, I think if Jesus had been talking to professional golfers, he might have said, you know, I want you to stop worrying about a hole in one and live for the holy one. Oh, that was bad. That's bad. Oh, oh, that's bad. That is bad. Don't worry. I, won't, I you know, you, you, you know, uh, you won't get a lot of those. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be done soon. You, you, you guys can get over that. But now at least your appetite, you're going to wait a little longer before you eat after that comment, right? But I do think, guess what? I do think that's exactly what he's trying to say. What you do is in submission to who I want you to be. And so if, if, if I could say anything for Faith Bible Fellowship today, is this. What you're doing is not as important is what you want to be. And it's the truth. I know that when I am, I'm a doer, I'm a checklist kind of guy, and when things get hard, I make a list, start working through it, because then I get distracted and I feel better. But a lot of times, the best thing I can do is just sit back. Just have that moment where I get shaken up a little bit. When I'm trying to control things I can't control and when I'm trying to, you know, uh, worry about things that just don't matter and I get through all that stuff, I think the thing the Lord always tells me to do, just sit down. Who do I want you to be? Who do I want you to be when the test comes back? Positive. Who do I want you to be when your job goes away? in downsizing who do I want you to be when somebody hurts you in a way you don't think you'll ever get over see I think the thing that Simon and James and, and uh, who else is there John all those guys when those guys find out I think what he's trying to say is from this point forward worry about who I want you to be Here's what I know God has called Faith Bible Fellowship to be. A light for this king in this community. It is not a coincidence that you all landed in this place. It is not a coincidence that a certain number of people gathered together under this name and covenant membership. It is not a coincidence. 
It was a plan for you to be something. The how, it doesn't matter when we get the why. Now, I, I will tell you that uh, <laughs> I have a heart for churches. That's kind of what my goal is now. So I work with churches in a lot of different places. I work with small core groups. We started in Brazil. I, I worked with a little group of people who had a dream to plant a church in a growing community that didn't have a lot of churches. And so I was able to work with them and coach them. That's one of the things that I did. I'm now doing the same thing in Iceland. You know the country of Iceland has two evangelical churches. Two. Two that are biblical. And, and you all understand what I mean by that because you stand on great things. One of those, they preach King James only all the time. But we're going to keep them in the count just because at least they're preaching the gospel, right? <laughs> so there's two. But there are some people up there that want more than anything to have a church. And you know why? Because why? Why? They know why God called them there. Providence helped a church in Jeff City, a church that was up in Jeff City. It was a small church that had gone through some transition. They were in a really hard time, and they needed a start over. And believe it or not, they just were about to, to fall apart. And so in the midst of that moment, uh, Providence said, you know, we're going to come in here, we're going to help you. Don't we'll take you over. We're going to help you, encourage you. And I can tell you right now that we started into a commitment for three to five years to pray for that church, support that church, encourage that church. And guess what happened? Last year, that church is a completely independent and in their own building now. We're so excited for them. And I, 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 I mean, listen, I might be too on the nose today with talking to you like this, but this is what I want you to know. God wants you to be something here. And the thing the enemy would love to have you all do is fight about how and when and who. But what will really happen if you want the fish is you might have to do something that sounds crazy. You might have to go out in the boat in the middle of the day. You might have to fish in a place that you're like, the fish aren't there that time of day. You might have to say, you know what? I'll drop the net and not worry about it if you want to do it a different way, Jesus. So if you'd let me, and, and I, I, I just want to do this, if you'd let me, I'd love to just pray for you all. Pray for your search team. Pray for your elders. If you're a search team member, would you stand? Can I ask you if you would to stand? I'd love to see who's on this team. And if you're an elder, would you stand? Now I'm going to ask you if you would. I know this is kind of uncomfortable. Y'all can kick me out if you want. <laughs> I hope you wouldn't. And if y'all want to tell me good fishing spots, I'll take that too. But anyway... I'd love for y'all to come forward and let me pray for you. Not because I'm anything special, but I really do know who is. And so you've got this team of folks 
And God is using them, and the burden is heavy on their hearts in this change. You all have been through a, a, a conflict and a struggle that, I'm going to be honest with you, isn't something churches go through very often. And I think you've kept the right thing in place. So here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that it'd be about being, not doing. If you'd like to stand up here and pray with them, I'd love for you to do that. But let's all just stand together. You don't have to. You can stay right where you're at or you can come up here, whatever you want to do. But I want to pray for these folks as we close. Then we'll sing a little bit together because God is good, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for men and women who will love you and be willing to stand in the light, in the gap, to trust you with what's next. And it is hard to do. There's a lot of things about the process that they're going through and the struggles they're dealing with that don't feel right. They don't make sense. It's easy for a lot of these things to be hard to swallow. They're still hurt, Jesus. They're still hurt. We're still saying goodbye to somebody we loved. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's panic. There's difficulty. There's all these things. And so guess what? We're not going to worry about how. We're not going to worry about these things. I pray that you would put a burden in the hearts of these men and women about making disciples. Help them to be your followers and to do whatever it takes. Lord, thank you for their faithfulness. Use them in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.